As we continue talking about world changers in the book of Acts, we're going to be looking at Philip today, a man who was ready when called. Our life is defined often by moments, particular moments that stand out, that mark us, that develop us, that change the course of our lives and change the course of other people's lives. Moments that define us and how we respond in times of crisis. Moments that define us and how we respond to success or even failure. And sometimes when we don't have what we believe are great moments, we can be convinced by the enemy that we're insignificant or unimportant to the kingdom of God. We can think that what we do doesn't matter or nobody notices. But God has lifted out some people in the early church, Philip being one of these, that made an impact, although they were on the scene for only a brief while. And I want us to look at the life of Philip today because here's a man who in a moment was ready to do something that literally took the gospel into another part of the world. Here's one man who answered God's call, and because he did, a whole nation was impacted with the gospel. I want to begin by asking you some questions this morning. First of all, if duty calls, are you ready? If God speaks to you and calls you, are you ready? Or will you delay? Will you back up? Will you retreat? Secondly, if God opens a door, are you ready to walk through it? Or are you like the ones in Luke chapter 9 who said, Lord, let me first go do this? Or are you ready to walk through whatever door God opens for you to walk through? And number three, if presented an opportunity to share the gospel, are you ready to drop your agenda and obey the Spirit? Now, all three of these questions apply to Philip, who answered yes to all of them. They're not specifically in the scriptures, but they are implied in the scriptures. Philip was a man, he's not the apostle in the, in the gospels. Philip is a deacon. He's one of the two that we know better than the others that were chosen and selected in, in Acts chapter 6. Stephen being the apologist of the gospel and a martyr, and Philip being an evangelist. Here are two men, two laymen, that believe that God has called them out to do something significant with their lives. Now, here's what happens when God touches you. And this is how you know when God touches you. First of all, prejudice is shattered. If God has touched you, there can't be prejudice in your heart. Because God didn't make you any better and God doesn't love you any more than anybody else in this world. Secondly, there's a paradigm shift. In salvation, it's a turn. It's a repentance. It's a change of direction. But in the process of sanctification, there's that moment when we realize I can't go back or I can't do what I've been doing. I've got to take a step up in my walk with God. And thirdly, when you get to that point, there is a power made available to you. God gives you a power, 
and because you're ready for it. it. When you read the New Testament, you see often where it says, be on the alert or be on guard or be ready. God is trying to get his people ready to do what he has called us to do. And he doesn't want us to be sleeping on the job and wake up like Rip Van Winkle and wonder what day it is. God wants us to be ready for the moments when he has chosen to put us in a place and in a time and in a situation where we can do something that changes the life of our, our lives and the lives of those around us. So I want you to pick up in uh, Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 6, we know that, that uh, Philip was one of the reasons I love Philip. There was no job too small for him. I mean, he wasn't one of these guys that said, hey, man, I'm made for better than, than waiting tables and, and, and ministering to widows. He's a man who was faithful in doing his job. Now, now, before we get into Acts 8, let me just give you a thought here. Sometimes people will ask me, why doesn't God use me? God is using you right this minute as much as he can possibly use you. That's the wrong question. The right question is, are you usable? Amen. Not why doesn't God use me. The question is, are you usable? Are you positioned personally, spiritually for God to use? Because God is using you to the extent that he can use you right now. He's either preparing you for something or he's heading you towards something or he's in the middle of using you in some way. Here's Philip who is ready to serve at a moment's notice. No job is too small for him. And the parable of the talents tells us this, the reward for work, faithful work in small things is bigger things. In other words, Jesus said, when you work for me, the reward is I'm going to give you more work to do. So if God's not giving you any more work to do, you're not being faithful in the work he's given you to do. If God's not opening any doors for you, it's because you're not being faithful in the doors that he's opened for you. So the question is, do I have the attitude of a Philip where I'm ready to go and do whatever God has called me to do? Now look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered, remember they're scattered because of the martyrdom of Stephen and the persecution of the church, went about preaching the word. Philip, only one mentioned, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, a question to ask yourself before we jump ahead some verses. Is there much rejoicing in our city because of you? Anybody rejoicing in our city because of you? Because it says that when Philip left, he went out and did things in the name of Jesus, and there was much rejoicing in the city. Verse 26. 
Now here he is, he's preaching, he's having a great ministry. Verse 26, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. (laughs) No five-star hotels on this road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said to him, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does a prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and I want you to underline this because we're going to come back to it. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He started where he was. He picked him up right where he was. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, by the way, here's a guy gets saved and he knows the first thing he needs to do is get baptized. He's not debating with, he's not arguing, it's not a pride issue. First thing he knows to do, I've, I've been saved, I need to be baptized. I need to be obedient to the Lord's command. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Astus, and he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. And that's where you see him At the end of this, he's in Caesarea. Now, let's look at some things. First of all, he was ready before he was called. He was ready before he was called. Uh, I've been in churches. I know none of you have ever been in churches like this, but but I've been in churches where there have been meetings, and they say, you know, if we make that guy a deacon, he'll start tithing. Uh, If we make him a deacon, he'll start coming to church. No. You don't get to be in a leadership position so that you can start doing something. Philip was already doing what he was supposed to do. And God called him because of his obedience. Here's a man who was ready to serve God. He had already been faithful. I love the story of Stuart Holden who once said, I asked a young African Christian when I was overseas, what do you do? And the young African Christian said, I am a cabinet maker to the glory of God. Now listen to me, whether you're a housewife, a plumber, a teacher, a salesman, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, whether you're a student, 
whether you are a, someone who supports someone who does personal care for people, no matter what you do, your secular work is to be a spiritual service. God has given you a vocation to pay the bills, but your calling is to be Christ in that vocation. Your calling is to be a witness in that occupation. Your calling is to use the platform that God has given you so that in the moment that God gives you, you're a faithful servant of Jesus Christ and you're used of him in what the world would say as secular. We don't separate the secular from the sacred. We do all to the glory of God. And so if, if you have a, what you think is a menial job, you need to get your eyes up. God has put you there around the people that he has put you around to do something significant for him. Uh, somebody came to Howard Hendricks one day and said, I wish you'd pray for me. I'm the only Christian at the place I work. I need to go somewhere where there are under Christians, other Christians. And Hendricks said, man, how fortunate you are that God would entrust you to be his light in that much darkness. You are to be his witnesses where you are. Be a cabinet maker for the glory of God. Be an electrician for the glory of God. Be a farmer for the glory of God. Be a banker for the glory of God. Be a housewife, a school teacher for the glory of God. God gifted you, called you, gave you talents to put you in a place where nobody else is. And this is your season to be ready because he is called. He was ready when he was called. Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip kind of explodes on the scene. Uh, first of all, he was flexible. He, he was flexible, which makes me know that he wasn't a Baptist. Because, <laughs> you know, most Baptists, they've got to have 12 committee meetings, and, and they've got to do a long-range plan survey. I mean, this guy was flexible. He, he was ready. He was full of the Spirit. When God called him and said, go and get there, he ran. I mean, he did what he was asked to do. No hesitation in him. He was flexible. I remember when I was pastoring in Oklahoma and my dad had a heart attack. And it was late in the week. It was like a Thursday. And I needed to get to Oklahoma and I needed to drive. But, and Terry and the girls were with us and we needed to go. We had two men in our church that were ordained ministers, preachers of the gospel, called to serve, who at that moment in their lives were members of our church. They weren't pastoring at the time. So I knew it was late notice. I called both of them and said, look, here's what's happened. My dad has had a heart attack. I don't know how serious it is. I've got a 16-hour drive. I'm not going to be back for Sunday. I need you to preach. And both of them said, I can't do it. In fact, one of them said to me, well, you haven't given me enough time to prepare. And I said, brother, there's something in the word about being ready in season and out. Amen. Philip didn't say to the Spirit of God, I'm sorry, I don't have time to go talk to that Ethiopian. I haven't had time to prepare. That's saying you don't even believe that God can equip you in the moment to do what he calls you to do. Guess what? I didn't ask either of those guys to preach again. Nor did I give them a recommendation 
when churches ask about them. Because in the moment of need, they weren't ready. In the moment when they were called on, they weren't sufficient for the hour. And God can't entrust his work to people who say, wait a minute, let me go get everything in order. When I feel good, I'll do it. We need to be ready. Here is a man who was led by the Spirit. He moves from a limited role to a prominent role. He's listening to the Spirit. Chapter 8 and verse 4, Philip went down to Samaria. Now, I love this. I don't know how many people left Jerusalem, but I know Philip did. God singled him out. And guess where Philip went? He went to the place that the Jews would avoid because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were a mixed race. He, he went to the place where Jesus had given us the example when the disciples would have wanted to go around Samaria to get to their destination. Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Now, can I tell you something? If there's an area of this town or this community that you think you're too good to go through, God can't use you. If you think you're too good to get your hands dirty and to deal with people that are not on your level, that don't look like you, smell like you, walk like you, talk like you, have your level of expertise, then you're not flexible and God can't use you. You've already put yourself on the shelf. You've already decided, I will not obey God. You're already hindering the Spirit. You're already limiting the Spirit of God and what He can do in your life because God says, I need willing people. He, Philip went down to Samaria, and an angel of the Lord spoke to him in verse 29, and then the Spirit said to Philip, now listen, if he had not been obedient, Acts chapter 8 would be in the Bible. One of the strongest bases of Christianity for the last 2,000 years has been the Ethiopian church. If Philip had not obeyed God, yes, God could have sent somebody else, but God told Philip to go, and God met a person of high influence who had the ear of the queen, who controlled the treasury here, here's a man, the Spirit said to Philip. Philip went down to Samaria. He was led by the Spirit. Now, all of us have met somebody who says, I was led by the Spirit, and you look at them and you go, no, you weren't. There's no way. I, I know you too well. You weren't led by the Spirit. You may have, you know, eaten some weird Mexican food last night, but you weren't led by the Spirit. And so let me give you some principles on how God led Philip by the Spirit. First of all, the angel of the Lord spoke because the New Testament had not yet been written. None of the Gospels had been written down at this time. He had the Old Testament Scriptures, so God spoke directly to Philip because he didn't have a written word to lean on. So, it's important for you to get that because the second principle is this. The Spirit of the Lord would never speak contrary to the revealed Word of God. God's Spirit is not going to be different from God's Word. And so if somebody tells you the Spirit led me and it doesn't stack up to the Word of God, there was a Spirit that led them all right, but it wasn't God's Spirit. 
It may have been their flesh. It may have been their emotions. It could have been a demon. But it wasn't God's spirit. Because the Spirit of God never tells us to do anything inconsistent. And so when the Spirit of God says, get up and go, leave, you've been preaching Jesus. That's what we told you to do. You've been preaching Jesus. Now get up and go and go talk to this Ethiopian. He would have known what Jesus said, the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is a fulfillment of that. I don't have to ask if this is God's will or not. Thirdly, the Spirit never leads you to ignore your responsibilities. You'll have somebody say to you, well, God led me, and so I just decided I couldn't pay my house payment this month because I was just doing what the Lord told me to do. Well, I didn't show up and fulfill my responsibilities at church. God's Spirit doesn't lead you to ignore responsibilities. He doesn't lead you to ignore your family. He doesn't lead you to ignore your responsibilities at work without getting approval from the people you work for because if you do... You're not only not acting under authority, you're giving a bad witness. You're giving a bad witness. Number four, the Spirit speaks quietly. God doesn't shout. And you don't hear an audible voice. Sometimes it's more clear than that. But here's a man who was listening to the Spirit of God and he was ready to go wherever God told him to go. And he went to Samaria and right in the middle of this successful ministry, I mean, you think about it. The lame are being healed. Demons are being cast out. Preacher, people are responding. The city is rejoicing and God says, hey, I got something else for you to do. Now, here's the danger. The danger is when God is blessing us we can think we can't go do a lesser thing. Oh, well, I've been here. I've done that. I can't lower myself to do that. Listen, there's nothing beneath the believer. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, which was the job of a servant, Jesus gave us an example to say there's nothing that you're too good to do. I can remember when the flood hit Albany, the 500-year flood that we pray never comes again. I can remember when the flood and we were housing hundreds of people over in the rock. We had cots and we had people, I'm talking about people in this church that lived in significant homes. Were in there cleaning the toilets and mopping the floors for people that didn't have anything but the clothes on their back. None of us are too big to do anything. Amen. That's one reason God used Philip. He was firm regarding the gospel. Now, I want you to pick back up in, in uh, chapter 8. He was firm regarding the gospel. And just, just you can kind of mark these verses. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Verse 6, Philip preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 35, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Verse 40, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Samaria. You see, the gospel is not what I think about God. The gospel is what God thinks about man. 
It's not about me trying to work my way up to God. The gospel is telling people that you can't be saved apart from Jesus Christ. There are no multiple paths to heaven. And, and look at what he did. He begins in Isaiah and points him to Jesus. Now, let's just park here for just a minute. If somebody just walks up to you and they've read a Gideon Bible and they say, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Could you take that verse because you've been a student of the word of God and take people straight to the cross of Jesus from there? Now listen, some of you have been Christians for 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years and you feel absolutely helpless to take anybody from any point in the scripture and take them to Jesus. That's your fault. It's not God's fault. If you're not mature, you need to get off the baby food and you need to get off the milk and you need to start eating some meat. And you need to get in the Word enough where anybody could take a Bible and you could begin in any book, anywhere, and find a way to go from there to get them to Jesus and to the cross because he's on every page of this book. We sing a song here where, we, where uh, Frank does a solo, and we sing a song where it starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. And in every bit of that song, it's a reminder Jesus is on every page of this book. Everything about this book is pointing to the fact that man is a sinner in need of a Savior, that it takes the blood of Jesus to save man from his sin, that when you die, you're going to go to heaven or hell. Everything about this book is telling us there's a battle for the souls of men. You ought to be able to take this book and tell somebody about Jesus from any point in it without saying I can give you the number of one of our staff members I'm sure they'll be glad to help you our job is to equip you to do the work of ministry not to do your ministry for you and if you're calling the church and asking the staff to do what God called you to do guess what you have no reward You've lost it because God has given you and I an opportunity to know the Word of God, to be students of the Word of God. We own a Bible. There are people in this world that have never seen a hard copy of the Bible. Can you begin in the Scriptures and take them to Jesus? He was firm regarding the gospel. He was faithful to the great commandment. You know, Jesus said to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the way you sum up the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's who he knew his neighbor was. His neighbor was a half-breed, and his neighbor was an African. Who's your neighbor? I'll tell you who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is the people that live in Albany, Georgia, in Leesburg, in Dawson, in Sylvester, in Smithville. That's who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is who you work with. Your neighbor is who you go to school with. That's who your neighbor is. If you look at somebody and say, well, they're they're just not my type, you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm telling you, this is not a guy that's got a Ph.D. from seminary. This is a guy that started out taking care of widows, and waiting tables. We're not talking about a guy that's chosen because of his intellect. He's chosen because of his heart. And he cares for them. Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, 
who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you for a second. Terry and I were eating in a restaurant in town this week, and I got so angry, I wanted to turn around to the guy behind me and snatch him by the collar and slap him both ways. I know that wasn't spiritual, but he was a guy. This is, this is the conversation that I'm having to listen to in 2012. Hello. Yeah, I got some work being done. I got some black guys coming to do that work, and I got some black guys doing it. But then when he talks about the other guys, he doesn't say white guys. I said, why don't you just shut up and just say guys? Why do you have to distinguish? What are you looking at? Are they good workers? Do they do the job? Can they meet the need? Can they do what they're supposed to do? Then just say, I've got some guys coming to do the work. That is a prejudiced statement, ladies and gentlemen. When you got to distinguish, I have a black friend and I have some white friends. That is of the devil. Listen, we have a calling to the nations. And it is not for us to just reach people that look like us. If we're going to be the church that God blesses in this community, we better look like this community more and more every day. Because if we don't, we're going to miss God. Now, if you're over 50, the rest of you, I want you to listen carefully. If you're over 50, I need you so tuned in right now that you are scared to take a breath that you're going to miss something. All right? So how many of you are over 50? Just raise your hand. Ladies, go ahead. Come on now. <laughs> I know you're 30. How many of you are 39 and holding? I mean, you know... <laughs> Acts 21 and verse 8. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip the evangelist, who was of the seven, we stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. I want you to think about this. You come all the way from Acts chapter 8 to Acts 21, and we have not heard about Philip at all, except in Acts 8, he said he preached the gospel until he came to Caesarea, and apparently he stopped there. And he got married, and he had four girls. That's four weddings, by the way, at some point. Help us, Jesus. (laughs) Can you imagine the kind of man that you have to be for the Apostle Paul on his way back to Jerusalem say, we're going to stop by and see Philip before we go. I may not ever get to see him again. Can you imagine the story, the influence of Philip? I mean, nobody's heard from him for 20 years. It's 20 years between Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 20. Can you imagine the influence of a man that the great Apostle Paul would stop to see him? on his last trip through. I mean, that'd be like Billy Graham saying, I need to stop by and see somebody because I may not get to see them again. This is significant. I mean, this is, you know, sometimes we read our Bible, oh, stop, keep going, I got to get to the good stuff. Hey, this is the good stuff. He stopped by to see an old man who has long since passed off the scene 
who's not on the stage. He doesn't have the spotlight anymore. There are no chapters being written about him. He apparently has moved to Caesarea, been faithful to God, or else Paul wouldn't have stopped to see him. He's been faithful to God. He's raised four godly daughters. There's only six times that the word prophetess is used in the scriptures and four of those in the New Testament and are right here. Two decades. The meeting was over. A lot of people had already forgotten about that Ethiopian that had gotten saved. People had moved on. There were new stars on the horizon. There were new flavors of the month. But Paul noted an old man with four daughters. W.E. Sangster wrote a booklet called How to Live in Christ. And he had a section in it called As the Shadows Lengthen. And he talked about the last years of our lives when the pace begins to slow and the hurt of waning power begins to control us. And so, senior adults, whether you take notes or not, I need you to write these down because this is crucial to the future of this church, of your children, and of your grandchildren. They're not going to come up on the screen. I just need you to think through this because this is the future. If you're over 50, and even if you're not, because you're going to be there one day, by the way, quicker than you think. <laughs> Number one, don't resent the next generation. Amen. Don't resent the next generation. We have a saying here, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. I never want us to get to the point where anybody would ever resent the next generation. Secondly, don't hold on to power too long. Know when it's time to pass the baton. Don't hold on to power too long. Don't be afraid to give it up to somebody who's ready to stand in your place. Number three, this one's a big one. <laughs> it's a big one. Don't get cynical because they don't do it like you do it. Don't get cynical. Hey, you know, in my day, we'd have never done it that way. Well, you know, one day it's not our day anymore. Don't get cynical if they don't do it like you do it. Well, I just wish we had some more music like the days of old. Well, they're not doing any more shape note hymnals. Those days are gone. And you can bemoan it and have a pity party about it, or you can praise God that there's a new generation of people writing songs that exalt the name of Jesus Christ. you got a choice. Don't get cynical. Don't get jaded about what God does as he raises a new generation. Lastly, rejoice in what God is doing with the next generation. Rejoice in what God is doing with the next generation. Now, two things. I think these are going to come up. Fading from prominence shouldn't mean fading obedience. 
Fading from prominence should not mean fading obedience. I'm going to ask Veritas to come up, if they would. Secondly, fading from fame shouldn't mean fading fruitfulness. Fading from fame shouldn't mean fading fruitfulness. The key is finishing well. Okay? The key is finishing well. I'm going to tell you a quick story, and then they're going to sing, and then I'm going to give an invitation. All right? Gary Miller told me several months ago, he said, you know, he said, my dad's 90. God told him he'd live till he was 90. He said, my dad's 90. He said, the phone doesn't ring much anymore. People don't call much anymore. He's kind of been forgotten. Now, here's a man who went to hundreds and hundreds of churches and helped them start an intercessory prayer ministry. Pastors used to call him all the time, pray for me, pray for me. I need help. Pray for me. My church is in trouble. Pray for me. The phones don't ring much anymore. But he still gets up at 4 o'clock every morning, goes to his prayer arbor, faces east, because he says, one day I may be there and the Lord may come, because he's coming in the east. And he gets up and prays from 4 to 7 every morning for people that have forgotten him that their lives would be strong. Folks, finishing well may be more important than doing miracles.